The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain and into some valley. And he said, You shall not send, but... When they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent, therefore, fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, and my Lord sees But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out to the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys. From there he went up on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And today we're going to be uh, dealing with this story that you just heard read, Elisha and the Bears. Um, if, you're, if you're my age or older, you'll get that reference, uh, hopefully. But this, is, this story that was just read is one of those stories that's really kind of difficult for us as Christians to, to kind of think through what exactly is going on. In fact, if you were this afternoon to go home, uh, you know, get on YouTube and put in the search engine, Elisha and the Bears, you would get a string of videos, some trying to explain it. Others use this to say, that's why I'm not a Christian. That, that's why I, I can't follow the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible seems bloodthirsty and violent. I mean, the the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime here, right? The kids shouldn't have made fun of his hair, but do they deserve to get mauled to death by bears as a result? I mean, it just it doesn't seem like it's an equitable, uh, you know, outcome or sentence. And so people look at a passage like this, and and they they use it as skeptics to say, this is why I can't trust the God of the Bible. Christians often will come to a text like this, and because it's so difficult to figure out what we're going to do with it, what we often try to do uh, with Old Testament stories 
is to figure out some kind of principle that will kind of make it not sting as much and maybe it's just trying to teach us a life lesson, kind of like a cartoon that you might watch. And so people try to look at these passages and, and be like, okay, it's just, it's telling us here's a behavior that you should either avoid doing or here's a behavior that you should try to emulate, okay? And so when, when I was growing up, there were some of my Sunday school teachers and, and others who would have that kind of approach to the Bible. And so because of that, when I, when I read this passage for the first time, like by myself, that I can remember reading it, I got kind of freaked out by it, okay? And here's, here's why. Um, I've got three brothers, There's, so I grew up with four boys, and uh, our dad um, was and is our hero. Like, we love our dad, uh, think he's the greatest. My twin brother, Nathan, preached here a couple of months ago, so if I look familiar uh, to you, it's not the same guy, all right? But we, we do sound alike and look somewhat alike. And so when we were, when we were little, okay, uh, growing up into, we started to get into our middle school years. My brothers and I came up with a nickname for our dad, okay? And so I, I told you, hero, love him, respect him. The nickname didn't really show all of that, okay? So just, um, when, when we were getting a little bit older, my dad's hairline started to recede, and so it looked like the state of Florida on the top of his head. And so we came up with this nickname. It was probably my twin brother more than me, all right? It wasn't. And the nickname was Peninsula Head, okay? Because it looked like a peninsula on the top of his head. And then when I read this story for the first time, like when I started reading the Bible for myself and was reading through the Old Testament and I got to the story, I was like, oh my goodness, I probably shouldn't make fun of my dad's hair anymore. Like this is, he's a man of God and this could go really bad for me uh, if I keep making fun of his hair. But that, so people, when they, when they come to this passage, they're like, all right, so what are we gonna do? How are we gonna, you know, make this palatable to people? And so they'll say, well, this is just a story that's telling you that you should respect your elders or that you shouldn't make fun of people. And let me just say this, okay, just as an aside, you should respect your elders and you should not make fun of people, okay? That's good advice. That's not why the Holy Spirit inspired 2 Kings 2 to be written, okay? There's something more that God is doing here and, and I want us to look at the context. We really need to look at everything that's happening in 2 Kings chapter 2 to be able to understand the story about Elisha and uh, these, these boys and the bears. And what's happening here, we're gonna see is that Elisha is carrying on the ministry of Elijah, okay? That's what we're gonna see here in just a second. He's carrying on the ministry of Elijah. And just like the ministry of Elijah, now the ministry of Elisha, and then we'll see later the ministry of Jesus, is going to elicit different reactions from people. It's gonna be the same ministry, it's gonna be the same message, it's gonna be the same news, but people are gonna respond to it differently. There's gonna be different reactions to the prophetic ministry and to the prophetic word. The same thing is true about Jesus, okay? Spurgeon said it this way about the gospel, that the same sun that melts wax also hardens clay. So it's the same sun, but there's two different reactions. Some things melt, other things harden, and that's what we're going to see in Elisha and the Bears. It's going to point us to the ministry of Jesus, which was a ministry that was life-giving to some 
and it was a ministry that was destructive and judgment for others. Okay, so it was a ministry of life for some and a ministry of death for others. So to understand exactly what's going on, let's, let's go back and start in chapter 2, verse 1, and get the context, the background of what we, what we just read. All right, so start there in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 14. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep it quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. He took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. May God bless the reading of his word. Three things I want us to see in this text this morning about how this story points us to the ministry of Jesus. Number one is this. Jesus empowers us to continue his ministry. Jesus empowers us to continue his ministry. Now, listen, the, the, the basic uh, thing that's happening in 2 Kings 2, like the, the, the main function that it has is pretty clear, all right? And it's the passing of the baton from Elijah to Elisha. Elijah's ministry on earth is done, and now Elisha's gonna continue that ministry on, and so there's the, there's the passing of the baton from Elijah to Elisha. But we see a pattern developing here that may sound familiar to us, okay? So you have Elijah, he's, he's the man of God. His time and ministry on earth is done. He ascends into heaven without dying, and he leaves his spirit on his disciple who carries on his ministry after he's gone. Have you ever heard of that before? Does that happen again in the Bible? Right, it happens at Pentecost. You have Elijah, who has spent this number of years, Elisha left 
all of his farming equipment and he came and he followed Elijah. Elijah's been discipling him for a number of years and now Elijah ascends into heaven and he leaves the spirit on Elisha who's going to continue on his ministry after he's gone. And it's exactly what Jesus does with his followers. Jesus ascends into heaven and then at Pentecost, he, he pours out his spirit on his followers. Why? So they can continue the ministry of Jesus after he's gone, okay? And so, he's, so that we as the followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, continue on Jesus' ministry on earth. And what we see here is because of the discipleship and because of the empowering of the Spirit, the disciples are able to do even more work and greater work than the one who discipled them. So if you remember from the text we just read, Elisha has a very specific request that he asks of Elijah. What is that request? He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want double the spirit that you got. And scholars track these kinds of things. You can go home if you want to do a little Bible study today and, and look at it. Scholars tell us that Elijah, during his ministry, performed 14 miracles. Elisha, during his ministry, performed 28 miracles. Okay, double the number of miracles because he's able to carry on that ministry after he's gone, which is very similar to what Jesus says. I don't know if you've ever read this in the New Testament and you're like, man, that sounds kind of strange. Like Jesus says to his disciples, it's, it's better for you if I go away because when I go, I'm gonna send the spirit. And he says what? Greater works than I have done will you do when you receive the spirit. And when I read that, I'm like, greater, like what's better than walking on water? What's better than feeding 5,000 people? What's better than raising the dead? And the whole point is what Jesus is saying, listen, now instead of, of one me doing all of these things on earth, I've multiplied myself so that now in, uh, in America, for example, we have millions of people who are indwelt by the Spirit who are carrying on the ministry of Jesus after he's gone. We've, we, we're doing greater works than even Jesus did. For example, Jesus fed 5,000 people. I used to work for an organization called the North American Mission Board. Uh, the North American Mission Board has disaster relief teams. They, they partner with different uh, Baptist state conventions all over the country. So if a tornado comes in somewhere or there's an earthquake somewhere or there's uh, you know, a, a hurricane somewhere and people are displaced from their homes and, and they're going through turmoil and difficult time, these disaster relief teams go in and they, they clean up the mess and they try to help people get back to their lives. And then part of what they do is they feed people who are hungry, who've been displaced from their homes. They can feed up to 20 to 30,000 people a day doing this. Jesus fed 5,000. These people are able to, to feed 20 to 30,000. These people who are, these multiple, multiple people who are filled by the Spirit, able to do more work than even Jesus did. I'm, I'm even reminded even just being in this room and seeing this church that has been planted here in Fuquay Verena. You know that Jesus never planted a church, Ever. He certainly didn't come to America and plant a church, but he has planted church after church after church in America through disciples who have received the spirit of Jesus and are continuing on his ministry. And so Jesus empowers us to continue his ministry here, to invite people and to bring them to church with us, to serve in the children's ministry, to make disciples, to give to the mission of the church and to be involved. Jesus empowers us to continue his ministry. But here's the thing that you need to be aware of. That ministry is going to be received well and kindly by some, and is going to be resisted and criticized by others. 
It's just the way things are. For some, it's going to be life-giving. They're going to be grateful for the way that you love them, grateful for the way that you serve them, grateful for the things that you share with them. Others will lie about you and make fun of you and say things about you that are not true. And that's part of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is, he, he, it's the same ministry, but it elicits different reactions. But Jesus empowers us to continue his ministry. Second thing that we see in this story is that Elisha and the Bears points us to the fact that Jesus roots out our idols. Jesus roots out our idols. Let me explain what's going on here and, and how this helps us understand uh, what happens with the, with the boys and the bears, okay? The author here, whoever has written Second Kings, is using a device here um, that, like, if you're watching a movie or you're watching some kind of episode of a show, uh, it's a device called a flashback, okay? A flashback is a device that, that directors and people use to show something that happened in the past but has continuing significance in the present, okay? Like it's, it's having influence. It, it happened in the past, but it's having influence in the present. One of the classic examples of this device is the, the movie Godfather 2. Like Godfather 2 is looking at the life of the father at the same age as the life of the son. And it keeps flashing back to that and showing how it has significance in the current storyline, okay? So that's what the, what the Old Testament author is doing here. There's a flashback. I hope, hope maybe if you have some awareness of the Old Testament, then you were able to, to sense, like when, when, he, when it talks about him taking the cloak, touching the water, the Jordan River parting to the right, to the left, and then walking across on dry ground, I hope for some of you in the room, it was like, huh, that sounds familiar, like that, that, that sort of thing has happened before, right? It happened at the Red Sea when they were coming out of slavery in Egypt. It happened at the Jordan River when they were entering into the promised land to conquer it and then and to, to take possession of it, okay? And so the, the biblical authors, what they do, they are very specific here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They embed clues in the text that they want the readers to see that point backwards and point forward. Okay, they're, they're, they're doing this intentionally, all right? They, they want it, like they don't have to put in the footnote, hey guys, remember when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground hundreds of years ago? They don't have to do that because every Jewish person who's reading 2 Kings 2 for the first time knows exactly what they're talking about, right? And so he's embedding this in the text. He's also, the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us just selected episodes or instances of the life of Elijah and Elisha. Like you realize that, right? Like the Old Testament, I know it seems pretty big. Um, I, I know it seems like, like it's, a, it's like a big book. But honestly, if you're talking about thousands of years of Israelite history, this is pretty small, right? We're, we're told there are, to, to, to use another film illustration, like, there's tons and tons and tons of Israelite history that's on the cutting room floor when it comes to the Old Testament. It didn't make it in. Why did it not make it in? Well, it didn't make it in because it didn't serve God's purpose for why he was inspiring these books to be written. Like you, like you get that, right? Like there's tons of things over those years that Elijah and Elisha did together that we have no idea about. We're not told about them. They're not recorded. We don't know anything about them. Same, same thing with Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is the, the conclusion of the book of John. 
And, and John says at the, at the end of, of his gospel, he said, Jesus did lots of more things than, than the things I've written down here. He said, if I wrote all of them down, all of the books in the world could not contain them. But I chose these specific events. Why? Because he was trying to get you to believe that Jesus is the son of God. And so it's specific events that he chose. And so that's what's happening here. There's, there's specific events and he's communicating to us something like, of all the places, let's just say this, of all the places that Elijah and Elisha went together, why zero in on these places? And why show us their specific movements when it comes to these cities and this river? Okay, like why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that for a very specific purpose. Elijah and Elisha here are replaying the movements of Israel's exodus from slavery in Egypt and their conquest of the land in the book of Joshua. They are replaying those movements, but in reverse. They're, they're going at it the opposite direction because what, they're, what the author's communicating is that, that what the exodus and the conquest accomplished has been, has been turned on its head, okay? So for example, so if you go read in Exodus and you read in Deuteronomy, when God's telling the people of Israel to go into the promised land and to wipe out the Canaanites and to drive them out of the land, he's, he does it for a reason. He gives them a command, okay? And the command isn't, it's not like, Americans coming in and, and kicking out, you know, Native, like uh, Europeans coming in and kicking out Native Americans just so you can have their land, okay? He says what? I want you to go in there and I want you to drive them out. Why? Because I want you to rid the land of idolatry and I want you to establish the worship of my name in that place. It, it's about ridding the land of idolatry. Why? Because the Canaanites are worshiping the Baals, and they're worshiping these idols and they're not worshiping the one true God. And when this is written, when Elijah and Elisha are doing their ministry, what's happening in the Northern Kingdom of Israel? They're not worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the Baals. They're acting like Canaanites. And so the reason why he's doing this is he's communicating to them what you did in the conquest, ridding the land of idolatry has now been undone and you're acting like the very people that I, that I cast out in the first place. And so there needs to be a new Conquests where the land is rid of idolatry. So that's what, that's what happens here. That's what's being communicated. Let me show this to you. We have, a, I think, a map of uh, general that, that time, okay? So we're talking about reversing the movements. Let me just try to show you this up here, all right, for those who don't have all of the Middle Eastern geography in your mind, all right? So they were, the, the people of Israel were slaves. In what country were they slaves in? Egypt, okay? Where's Egypt? Egypt's in North Africa, over here, okay? When they came out, they came out into the Arabian Desert, which is right in here, okay? And then they came to Kadesh Barnea, and they re rebelled against God. And when they rebelled against God at Kadesh, then they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until all the older generation died. And then when they got ready to go into the land that God promised them, they did not take the direct route because they were not allowed to go that way. What route did they take? They went south and they came over to the east side of the promised land in the plains of Moab, okay? In the plains of Moab. When they were there, what happens? Moses dies. They can't find his body, can't find where he's been buried. 
He commissions Joshua, who receives the Spirit, and then Joshua leads the people in, and where's the first city they go to? What happens when Joshua leads the people in? God parts the waters of the Jordan River to the right and the left. All the people of Israel cross on dry ground. What's the first city they go to? Jericho, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Anybody know your, your, your history, your Old Testament history? What's the second city they go to in Joshua? Ai. Where's Ai? Bethel, okay? And so they, they go in across the Jordan River, they go to Jericho, and then they go to Bethel. And what Elijah and Elisha are doing is they're going to Ai, to Bethel, to Jericho, and now they're out here east of the Jordan River, out here in the plains of Moab. That's where Elijah and Elisha are. They've reversed the movements of the conquest to show there needs to be a new conquest. And we get, we get again, these parallels that show us what the author of Kings is trying to communicate is that Elisha is the new Joshua who is meant to go in and to rid the land of idolatry. Because again, out here in the plains of Moab, what happened? Moses dies, he's the man of God, his time on earth is done, he commissions Joshua, Joshua receives the spirit, and then Joshua enters the land, goes to Jericho, and goes to Bethel. Out here, Elijah's the man of God, his ministry on earth is done, he commissions Elisha, Elisha receives the spirit, Elisha goes in, first place he goes is Jericho, the second place he goes is Bethel. And so it's showing Elisha is the new Joshua, and he has this responsibility to rid the land of idolatry. In fact, their names are very similar. Joshua means the Lord saves, Elisha means my God is, sa- is the Savior, okay? And so he's, he, he has this ministry. What he's going to do is he's going to anoint Jehu as king, and Jehu is going to rid the land of idolatry for a little while, okay? So that's the flashback. It's, it's showing you how Elisha's meant to, like Joshua, to go in the land and to root out the idolatry. Now, it also points us forward to Christ because not only did something happen out here east of the Jordan River in the Old Testament twice, but something happens out here east of the Jordan River in the New Testament. And what is it? Well, we're told very specifically, and, and it is specific, that there is a prophet out here on the east side of the Jordan River who's baptizing people. What's his name? John. Who is John, according to the New Testament? The new Elijah. When he baptizes Jesus, Joshua, what happens? Spirit comes down on Jesus, and then he enters into the land to begin his ministry. And what is his ministry? To root out the formalism and the idolatry and the traditionalism that the first century Jews are doing where their hearts are far from God and they're not worshiping him. And so Jesus, just like Joshua, just like Elisha, has this ministry of rooting out idolatry. And that that ministry, again, the reason why Jesus roots out the idols in our heart, like when there's something in our hearts, something or someone other than him that's first in our hearts, and Jesus does this work to root those things out of our lives. It's not because he doesn't want us to be happy and it's not because he doesn't want us to have fun. Why does he do it? Because he loves us. Because he knows that there's nothing and there's no one who can satisfy us like he can. But when he does that work, some people receive it. They, they are convicted by their sin. They, they work to get rid of those things. They work to make the Lord first in their life. And it's life-giving and it, and it brings it, you know, human flourishing and thriving. Other people don't like it when you mess with their idols. And it makes them mad and they reject. I mean, think about, like, think about two different prophets 
who are doing the exact same message and there's two different reactions. Nathan goes to King David after David has sinned with Bathsheba, tells that story uh, about how, how David has taken something that doesn't belong to him. And David is convicted by his sin. He's contrite. He's crushed. He pins Psalm 51 and he just cries out to the Lord in repentance. And so this is, this is life-giving for David. He's, he's forgiven because he's, he's uh, convicted by it. John the Baptist, same thing, goes to Herod, says, it is not lawful for you to have her. What does Herod do in response? Oh, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I, I think I'm gonna ask God for forgiveness. No, he says, cut his head off. Same message, same ministry, two different reactions. Jesus, Jesus meets a young man who has a lot of money and Jesus says to him, hey, I want you to go and sell everything that you have and I want you to take the money that you make and I want you to give it to the poor and I want you to come follow me. And the man walks away from Jesus sad because he has a lot of stuff and he doesn't want to get rid of the stuff. He doesn't want to, to have Jesus replace what's first in his heart, which is his, his greed. Jesus goes into Jericho. There's a guy there, rich, a rich guy, little guy named Zacchaeus. And then Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he calls Zacchaeus down and he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And what does Zacchaeus do? He starts selling his stuff and he starts taking the money that he has and he's giving it away to the poor out of joy. Why? Because he, he now recognizes, I mean, there's, there's something better than money and it's Jesus. And so this rooting out of the idols, for, for some it's, it's good news, for others it's destructive and they don't want it. The question that we need to be faced with is how are we going to respond? Like when Jesus wants first place in our lives, is there something or is there someone other than him that's there? And are you willing to have the, the difficult, to do the difficult work or to have somebody confront you and to, to talk to you about how that needs to, to go and Jesus needs to take its place in your life because Jesus wants to root out our idols. And then the last thing that we see in this story is that, that Elisha and the Bears points us to how Jesus is both savior and judge. Jesus is both savior and judge. Elisha's conquest to save and judge like Jesus begins here after he crosses the Jordan River. And the first thing we see is a miracle of grace that's life-giving. And then we see a miracle of judgment that is destructive, okay? So we, we see both. A miracle of grace that's life-giving and a miracle of judgment that is that is destructive to the people who are resistant. And so what we see is this first miracle, the city of Jericho, after Joshua fought the battle, was cursed and the water supply was bad. And so for generations, it's been bad. And so uh, as we just read, Elisha takes the salt, throws it in, the water's transformed, it goes from death to life, and now is, is bringing life and fruitfulness to the city. And this is a preview of the, the life-giving saving, gracious miracles that Elisha's gonna do. Miracles like, and stop me if you've heard this, multiplying food when there's no food, cleansing lepers, raising the dead. Anybody else do that in the Bible? Okay, like the Sunday school answer works pretty, pretty fine anytime I'm preaching, all right? You just say, Jesus, and you'll get it about 95% of the time, all right? Uh, so he has these life-giving miracles, but he also has a ministry of judgment. And that's what happens here with the bears, okay? Now, to understand what's happening with the bears, we have to understand where it's taking place, who it's taking place with, and what they're saying, okay? Who, where it's taking place, who it's taking place with, and, where, and what they're saying. So where is this taking place? It's taking place in Bethel. What is Bethel? 
Bethel is basically the capital city of idolatry in the northern kingdom, okay? They set up a shrine in when, uh, when uh, the kingdom's divided. They set up, uh, Jeroboam set up a shrine in Bethel, created a golden calf, hello, puts it in there, and the people start worshiping it rather than worshiping God. And so this is the, the central shrine city for this, the nation of Israel rejecting God and starting to worship idols, okay? So what's happening here, some scholars think, number one, we need to understand who these, these boys are, okay? The, that translation may not be the best translation. Like if you have this idea that there's a bunch of toddlers out there mocking this guy that are getting eaten by bears, that's not what's happening, Okay? The, the word here in Hebrew that's, that says boys is the same word that's used in 1 Kings 12 to talk about King Rehoboam when it says that, that Rehoboam listened to the peers that he grew up with rather than listening to the elders of Israel. So most people think they're probably like late teenagers, okay? And some even think that because this is the capital city of idolatry, that who these young people are are basically like seminary students for Baal, all right? They're like training to be priests and prophets for, for idolatry, okay? And so they, the, these, so what's happening here, this judgment that is pronounced is, is one of two options. Either it's showing that these young, these young people are behaving just like their fathers and their grandfathers in terms of rejecting the word of God and not wanting to worship the one true God. And if so, then it's showing judgment. God's finally holding you accountable for this multi-generational uh, rejection of God. Or the other thing that might be happening here is that they're not rejecting the word of God, but they're rejecting the man of God. Okay, so when they, they say, go up, bald, bald head. I like that the CSB is my favorite translation here. They, they just call him baldy. Okay, they go up baldy and just like get out of here. Okay, so what's happening here potentially, okay, what some scholars think is if you noticed earlier when I read um, verses one through 14, every city that Elijah and Elisha stopped in, the sons of the prophets came out and they were like, hey, Elisha, guess what? God's taking Elijah away from you today. And he's like, hey, it's too soon, guys. Come on, stop, stop mentioning it, right? Um, but what they say specifically, what do they say? They say, Elijah, Elisha, do you know, don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from over you today? That word master is literally the Hebrew word for head. Okay? It's the Hebrew word for head. In the same way that Jesus is the master of the church, the New Testament said, he's the head, the church is the body. Literally, that's what they're saying. Hey, uh, Elisha, don't you know the Lord's taking your head from over you today? So there are some scholars who think, that Elisha may not have been bald at all, but the, the taunt here is, hey, Elijah used to be your master, your head, and he covered you. He could call out fire from heaven, but he's not here anymore. You don't have that protection and that covering anymore, and so you need to get out of here or some bad things are gonna happen. And Elisha's like, well, I may not be able to call fire out of heaven. I can call bears out of the woods. And so he calls bears out of the woods, and it, and it shows I've got the same ministry as Elijah. And it's a ministry of grace, and it is a ministry of judgment. This is just showing 
What happens when you reject the word of God? God is going to hold you accountable. He is going to, he is going to pour out judgment. And this is something that he had warned the nation years and years and years before. Listen to what the Bible says in Leviticus 26, verse 21 and following. This is what God says to the people. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins and I will let loose the wild beasts against you which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. He says, this is what's happening here. I've warned you and I've warned you and I've warned you and you've rejected me and you've rejected me and you've rejected me and now it's time to hold you accountable. If you have a problem ultimately with the story of Elisha and the bears, then you have a problem with God holding people accountable who have rejected him. That's what's happening here. And Jesus has the exact same warlike ministry, right? The same Jesus who is healing the lepers, who's multiplying food, who's raising the dead, who's bringing in the outcast, is also going into the temple, clearing out the money changers. He's confronting the rich young ruler. He's casting out demons. Jesus has a ministry of salvation, but he also has a ministry of judgment. And yet Jesus graciously took on the judgment that we deserve at the cross what happens to him at the cross is what? He's mocked, he's made fun of. He has hair pulled from his face and he takes all of that on. And then three days later, he's raised from the dead. And just like with Elijah, they can't find his body, even though they're looking for it. And he's gonna, he's gonna save those who see that as good news, but he's gonna judge those who see that as bad news. The New Testament tells us the gospel is an aroma of life to life to those who believe and it's an aroma of death to those who don't. It's the same news, but it elicits different reactions, right? One thief on the cross cusses Jesus out, remains obstinate. Another thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's the same news, it's the same ministry, but there are two different reactions. And so as, as I wrap up, just wanna challenge you to to take stock of your life. How have you responded to the, the news about the ministry of Jesus? Have you received it? Is it does it bring you joy? Does it, does it bring you um, happiness? Or have you not dealt with it? Or do you have something else in your life that is taking its place? And then for those of you who have trusted in, in Christ, as you've been filled with the Spirit and you continue on this ministry that Jesus has, just be aware you're called to be faithful to do what God has called you to do, but you're going you're gonna to experience all kinds of different reactions. There are going to be some people who, when you go to them, you serve them, you love them, you tell them about their sin, you tell them about the good news of Jesus, they're going to be overjoyed by it because it's going to bring them life. And there's others who are going to be mad, who may call you names, who may tell lies about you. Because the, as Spurgeon says, the same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you and then we'll respond by taking the supper together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that they would come to know him today. Lord Jesus, you are loving and gracious and patient and kind and merciful and you are ready to pour out 
upon us blessing after blessing after blessing that we do not deserve. And you are also holy and fierce and just and you are the true judge and you will set all things right. And so Jesus, we are, we are grateful for your love and your mercy. We are grateful for your holy justice as well. Without your holy justice, there never would have been made atonement for our sin. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to be those who have hearts that are like the wax that has melted by your goodness and by your greatness and by your holiness that would drive us in contrition to seek forgiveness for our sins and to receive the grace that is available to us in you, Jesus. But Lord, we also recognize that there are going to be people who refuse and they will be held accountable one day as you stand face to face with them. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for those who are counted among your people. Lord, that as you empower us by your spirit, that we would be able to do greater works than Jesus did while he was on earth. That you would multiply his ministry again and again and again through the people called Redeemer. Lord, but Lord, also I, I ask that you would prepare us for the reactions that we are going to experience. You told us, Lord Jesus, no servant is greater than his master. If they lied about me, they're going to lie about you. If they mistreated me, they're going to mistreat you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And Father, we recognize that we are called as ambassadors for Christ in a world that is blinded by sin and is enslaved by the devil. And Lord, they don't know what they're doing. So help us to have the same love and graciousness and seeking ministry as our Savior. And Lord, help us to leave the results to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.